Welcome to Mayak Innovatsi, the podcast of Unit City dedicated to innovation from Ukraine to the world. And welcome to Mayak Innovatsi, the Ukrainian pitch. And uh, we are at the Kiev International Economic Forum here in Kiev. Um, and we're very lucky because we have a lot of uh, very international guests. Nick going. Nick is actually an old friend of the Kiev Economic Forum because if I'm not mistaken, this is not your first time. It's my third. It's your third. And I, I, I remember uh, you interviewing Jack Ma. That's right, uh, two years right, ago. Two years ago. And I had the chance actually to welcome Jack Ma at Unit City right after you uh, and give him a, a, a long tour. And then we had a, a great conference. But but the, your, your, your question were absolutely spot on. It but was, let me tell you, yes. um, I was due to interview the president because he, this was shortly after the president had become president. Yes. And then shortly before the, the forum that day, mm -hmm. he made it clear he didn't want to be interviewed. Oh. So he only wanted to give a speech. Uh -huh. And it was only going to be a short speech. And so I ended up having a much longer conversation with Jack Ma than I ever prepared for. And it actually went incredibly well. It was incredible, yes. Um, not I least because it. of the audience engagement. Everyone uh -huh. was really en energized by it. Yes. But look what's happened to Jack Ma since. I know, right? You know, he's been really marginalized and, and really suppressed mm -hmm. within, uh, within China. Yeah, uh, but actually, that that actually brings me to 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 actually the name of your company, Sinking the Unsinkable, uh, and nobody thought that Jack Ma would uh, would would become uh, would become uh, almost a ghost. Uh, actually, after uh, well, he misjudged uh, it probably, probably, probably. Mm. Um, Thinking the unsinkable. So you're a journalist. You've been a journalist for uh, a, a while. Um, 40 years. 40 years at More. the BBC. Uh, and then you started your own uh, your own venture. Um, how did you come up with that name, Sinking the Unsinkable? And I think it's actually linked to Ukraine. Yes, it is. Um, I decided to leave the BBC after many, many years. I had 40 years on the road back in 2014. And it was at the time that eastern Ukraine was being occupied by Russian forces or proxy mm -hmm. Russian forces. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Crimea was seized. You know all about it far better than me. And a combination of that and other things going on made me think, this is unreal. We're going backwards. Mm -hmm. And I'm a, I'm a, a, a child of, of the Cold War, and I remember all the, uh, the arms control agreements, the detente, The, all the negotiations in Geneva, the Hofti House in Iceland, Reagan and Gorbachev and the Gorbachev initiatives and so on. And I felt very strongly with my pedigree, if you like, of rather a long time as a journalist mm -hmm. that something was going backwards. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to test how this was uh, challenging leaders and how they were handling it, how they were coping with it. And I was quite pessimistic because we were not going to return to normal. Normal was before... Eastern Ukraine was occupied mm -hmm. before Crimea was seized, mm -hmm. part of a, a sovereign state of Ukraine. And uh, so I started working on thinking the unthinkable, taken from Herman Kahn, who um, used the phrase thinking the unthinkable about the Cuban Missile Crisis uh -huh. in 61-62, when he said, I can't believe this is happening. But that's where we were. Yeah. And so one thing led to another. I had no idea, of course, whether this was just a passing phase or something much bigger. And um, it's become a, a major project with, which has international repercussions. 
We've predicted and warned about so much. We predicted the Brexit vote in the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. We predicted that Trump would be nominated and elected. Uh, we predicted many things, including a pandemic, and most people thought we were smoking something. <laughs> it's about how leaders need to think differently and think in a more visionary way. And the main finding we have after years of talking to leader after leader, hundreds of leaders, is the following. The conformity, the conformity which qualifies leaders for their job. Mm -hmm in many ways now disqualifies them from understanding the scale of disruption, the enormity of change, and then how on earth to deal with it. Do, do you think it could be linked to the fact that they have um, a short-term period uh, ruling their country and they have to be re-elected and they, and they kind of like uh, by design have to think short-term and they cannot um, really take the risks that are needed, which is not exactly the same thing in the corporate world. Whether in the corporate world or in the political world, I think you're right to a certain extent. Um, but it's much more than that. It's, it doesn't matter whether you're a corporate leader or you're a political leader. It's about public servants. It's about people working in large companies, small companies, small and medium enterprises, about how much they are thinking about the new realities. You know, in the end, with the COVID crisis, with the, what we've been through, we've been through 18 years of change in 18 mm -hmm. months. Now, for any company or any government, that's an enormous challenge for reasons that we know so well. In many ways, people have come through it much better than anyone expected. But it, it is still, I think you're right, that certainly governments find it very difficult to handle this within the election cycle, whether it's Australia, which is every three years, whether right. it's uh, many countries, which is up to five years. Um, I was at an off-the-record conference recently where a very senior diplomat from a very large company, country said the following. He said, for the kind of solutions that we need, particularly on the climate emergency and sustainability, it really means politicians have to commit political suicide to get things done which need to be done, which don't get them re-elected. There, there is something I don't understand, and, and maybe you can um, enlighten us. Uh, um, I go to TED every year. Uh, I've been going to TED for the past 15 years, um, and I see all the politicians. Al Gore goes to TED, Bill Gates goes to TED. Uh, and, and once again, I'm not saying TED is the truth. Uh, I'm just saying that there is knowledge that is shared and clear information that is shared on what's going on. I remember at TED, the talk of uh, Bill Gates. 2013. Uh, yes, I was in the room and, 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 it, and, and, and people were like, why is he talking about this? Uh, but are we just not listening? That's a good question, but it comes back to that phrase, I, that conclusion we've come to, the conformity which qualifies you for your job as a director as a mm -hmm. chief executive, as a senior member of the C-suite, or as a politician. You have to conform to get there. Within a political party, you have to conform. Mm -hmm. You can't be radical because part, political parties rely on you being loyal to the cause. Right. And similarly, in, in the corporate sector, you've got to be loyal to the shareholders. You've got to be loyal to the private equity. You've got to be loyal. They want returns. They want returns, the maximum returns. They don't necessarily want to listen to the new realities emerging. Mm -hmm. But therefore, your question is right. And Paul Pullman, uh, the former chief executive of Unilever, who left just over two years ago, he retired. But he hasn't been retired. He's been incredibly active. Um, he's just written a new book. 
uh, and making it very clear that everyone's got to think in very different ways now. Running a company is not about making a profit necessarily by essentially screwing people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about making making profit in a responsible way. And he was prepared when he was at Unilever with board backing, with board backing, to uh, take risks, to change the way they their supply lines work, their supply facilities work, their, the way their staff worked, even if it meant that profits were going to be lower. This is about a big risk. And we can summarize it in our work by saying it's about being visionary. Mm-hmm. It's also about being maverick. Now, mm-hmm. if you're called a maverick within a company or within a government, you're kind of written off as a crank. But actually, you need a visionary who happens to be a maverick who can actually be listened to. Therefore, it's about experimenting safely. It's about letting people, particularly the next generation, who often have a really great idea, great set of perceptions within companies and within governments about what needs to be done, giving them their head, let them be heard. Because even if some of them are wrong or a bit um, callow, a bit immature, often they have perspectives which need to be listened to and should be listened to, but are suppressed because frankly they're not experienced enough Mm -hmm. or they're not high enough in the company or the political party so it is about changing the culture the behavior and the mindset it can be done let's talk about leadership uh and then we will talk about technology but let's talk about leadership for a second um i'm 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 kind of fascinated right now by uh, the difference between experience and wisdom uh and 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 to me i mean i hear a lot like oh to be a great leader you 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 need to share experience you but 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 to me more and more it's about wisdom um and 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 do you think there's a lot of wisdom in 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 our world right now no but why Um, but there are people who are wise and there's another thing which we highlight as well which is humility Mm -hmm. good leadership is about admitting that you're wrong Right. It's about admitting that you may have made a mistake. But you've got to, be, you've got to have a, an environment in which it is possible to admit you've made a mistake or something has not worked out. It's not necessarily failure. And that we tried, it didn't work, but don't give me a hard time. But many companies, many, many in, in governments use it as a hostage mm-hmm. and say, you weren't right. And it's very interesting. One, one, you'll see it on our website, www.thinkunthink.org. I did an interview with the chief technology officer of Bosch mm-hmm. um, a few months ago, and they were looking for new ideas within Bosch, a massive engineering company, 400,000 people. And um, even they were surprised by what I'm going to tell you. They wanted new ideas for where to do research and so on. But they said the problem is Bosch is full of engineers who don't take risks. Mm-hmm. They've right. got to get it right. And they were amazed because they quietly came up with a handful of ideas to put to the board. And the board loved everything. And they said, we want much more. We want ideas which we can start on within a month mm-hmm. and we'll give you a billion euros. Nice. And nice amazingly, <laughs> amazingly, they got an enormous number of ideas. And the surveys within the company were extraordinary, saying uh-huh. we've never experienced any of this within the company at all. It was like a ventilation mm-hmm. of frustrations. Yeah. So even engineers can be willing to make mistakes or willing to take, take, uh, take risks. Um, do you think it has to do with... Oh, sorry. How much do you think it has to do with our education? Because when when I think uh, about it, we all went to the same schools. We all went through the same. I mean, I went I went in France. I went to 
the best French university. All the president of France went to the same university as me. I mean, we we've been in the same mold. Are you same, an same, Yeah, yeah. The same same a as same as same as in the US. I should explain what ANR is. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, I don't think uh, I don't think people need to know. Uh, but so I, I'm Sciences Po ENA, so it's, it's like same you know, thing. The worst. Um, You're very well qualified. Well, I don't know. Uh, to be a rebel, not necessarily. Um, but 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 do you th how how much do you think it has to do with our education, and how should we twist that? I think. There's a danger of me sounding pessimistic and I don't, or negative about this, and I'm not being negative at all. It is no doubt, and you come from, uh, hope, hopefully you don't mind me saying this, Dominique, but in France, Enar is the um, is the elite, is where the elite go to be trained uh, to become another, yes. another member of the elite. Right. And I think what, and I, I'm not using that because you were, were an Enar, but it's the same with business schools. There's a certain degree of compliance which is necessary to get jobs. And notice what I said a few minutes ago, the cost of conformity. Yeah, and you have to conform in order to get a job or be qualified to get to the interview stage mm -hmm. because they feel comfortable that you've been through the right thought processes. I think there's a very strong argument, um, and this has come through from the side business school recently at Oxford University. There's a very strong argument that actually business schools are in danger are perpetuating are perpetuating right. a certain way of thinking and certainly Paul Pullman who's now the, the chair of the side business school who I mentioned a few minutes ago and um, people like Colin Mayer who runs the uh, the uh, future of the, uh, of the company program with the British Academy they've said very clearly essentially to a lot of students at, at the side business school you shouldn't be coming to us because mm -hmm. actually we're not we're not ventilating your mind enough To mm -hmm. make you think in a different way, as opposed to you've got to comply. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not a I'm not a graduate of a business school, but I think there is a there is a strong case, which is if you've been to the right places and got the right bit of paper, and got the right qualifications, then you'll get the right job. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot to be said for questioning that assumption, and encouraging a different thinking, and a different thinking, even if you make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you can think the unthinkable because it's not about thinking the unthinkable. Actually, much of what is happening was predicted like the pandemic, like right. the climate emergency. Right. Therefore, it should be thinking the unpalatable because mm -hmm. much of what is happening and is going to happen, no one really wants to believe it's going to be a massive change to their living standards, their way of life, the way they conduct their life, every assumption they make about holidays, about cars, about about their apartment, about their house, about... The garden, uh, the way they eat. Yeah, about the, materialist anything. ambitions yeah, and so on. Of course. That's going to change not in 20 or 30 years, but it should change in, in 20 or 30 months yeah. in order to meet the net zero targets. Right. Mm -hmm. So these are, these are these are the seismic implications And, and it will not. No. Uh, and what is clear, and I'm giving you background based on a lot of interviews, is that within the, the fintech business, within, within the financial services, within the, um, the private equity and so on, there's essentially a mood of let's make profits while we can. Mm -hmm. And if, it, if it's going to be green in two or three years, fine. It's green in two or three years. But we've got to capitalize and profit while we can, as opposed to thinking differently. And there's a piece in the FT, to, only today, the Financial Times, saying that 
there are a lot of private equity who are now making big money right. out of the offloading of, of carbon. Mm-hmm. Because they're buying up the fixed assets which Jesus. are being disposed of. Because actually you've still got to have coal-fired power stations right. and you've got to have oil generation. Right. And so they are moving against the trend mm-hmm. and making big money of it, even though many in the green sector are offloading this stuff because right. they don't want it for the sake of their, their shareholders. Let, let's talk a little bit about technology because Unicity is about technology and I come from, I'm French, but I, I left my country to, to, to move to Silicon Valley where I lived uh, for 20 years uh, in San Francisco. Um, and, and when I moved in 2004 in San Francisco, I was obviously naive uh, and obviously extremely optimistic and in, in the belief that technology is changing the world, it's here for the best, uh, thanks to technology. Well, it has changed the world. Uh, well, yeah, but the question is, is it for the best? Uh, and but, but how do you view those big tech companies who are now under scrutiny? I mean, Facebook is under terrible I pressure. I think it's inevitable. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it's for the best or for the worst. The fact is, it's extraordinary. You and I are sitting here with two microphones. Right. And you've got a sound engineer who's recording it on a laptop. Yeah. You know, I come from the broadcasting business. This would have to be done in a studio. In a studio. Um, mm-hmm. And it would have to be done on tape or it would have to be done on a cassette. Mm-hmm. And it would have to be uh, baffled. We, we would have to right. make preparations. Instead of which, you've got a pop-up studio. Mm-hmm. And you and I can talk to each other. And it can be uploaded and, and listened to by 10 people or 10 million people. That's extraordinary. Right. When I was la- when I la- first came to the Ukraine back in the Soviet times, I I had to come here with a cameraman and a sound man mm-hmm. and analog analog video, and the only way I could broadcast it was by shipping it back to London. Right now, with the mobile phone right. that I've got in my hand, I can I can record anything that happens if there were to be something on Parkovi mm-hmm. or something in Maidan mm-hmm. um, in the next 10-15 minutes. Absolutely. We could broadcast it around the world. Right. So is it, I think. Much of what is happening is extraordinary. You know, I come from, I I remember, I'm sorry, I do have white hair. Um, (laughs) I remember using film. Right, right. And that in film meant going to a laboratory and shipping it back somewhere. Right. It's fantastic what you can do. I can do a selfie video, a bit of video, Mm -hmm. upload it onto WeTransfer, and it can be around the world immediately. Bang. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. So I think there are bests about this fantastic transparency fantastic ability to um, to just br- to, to broadcast everyone in this room where we're talking um, at the Kiev Economic Forum everyone is a member of the media because they've all got a mobile phone absolutely it's nothing exclusive to me as a former broadcaster mm-hmm. but the question is how responsibly they use it mm-hmm. and you know at, on TikTok you can have 11 million viewers for doing something pretty outrageous right But I don't. It's more more viewers than I ever got when I was on air at the BBC. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so, do you see what I'm saying? That right. there is a best to this. Right. Right. Even if, when it comes to Facebook, and we're talking just after the whistleblower spoke to the Senate, and and Zuckerberg saying, you know, he disagrees with everything that was said. Um, but there is a degree of responsibility, and whether someone like Zuckerberg, who, after all, is running a company which is bigger than most nation states, in terms mm-hmm. of value, why he's not thinking of this as mm-hmm. opposed to thinking about how he can make sure he's getting profit, profit, profit. I think there are many questions about that. Uh, but on the other hand, he's generating revenue. He's generating business. And in the end, if, if people want to advertise on Google and Amazon and want to advertise um, on anything produced from Silicon Valley or WhatsApp or on Instagram or on mm-hmm. TikTok, and it's generating more business, whether you're a startup or a multi-billion company, then you're generating business and you're generating uh, wealth 
but, 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 but don't you think uh, don't you think those companies have a huge responsibility? Yes, they do. And 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 they're not really acknowledging it. Yeah, they're being arrogant about it. They're, they're kind of yes, yeah. arrogant. But they're is not a good thinking term. the unthinkable. They're, they're not, not thinking the unthinkable. Remember, three years ago, I think it was, when twenty thousand Googlers went onto the streets. Yes. And shocked the leaders of Google and Alphabet mm -hmm. by being on the streets because two of the senior figures. Uh, who allegedly were involved in Me Too right. and bullying were yes. paid off with, I, I think it's 170 million dollars. Yeah, it was insane, insane uh, amount. Dollars, and they were outraged. <laughs> yes. Um, my view, it's up to Google to provide their, their response if you need a response. I can't remember <laughs> yeah, exactly course, what it was. Um, my, my view is that it was outrageous for a company to pay, mm -hmm. even if they had equity in the company. Right. Um, anyone, that kind of level of money, as a way of getting rid of them because mm. it was politically unacceptable at the time. Right. And so that is about responsibility. It's about thinking of ethics. Mm. It's about ethics which are changing, which are developing, mm -hmm. and we can't predict the way it's going to go. But I think this is what I mean by thinking the unthinkable or thinking the unpalatable. If we're going to use that Google, um, Google example, then it was unpalatable to think that actually two very senior Google executives would lead to 20,000 Googlers around the world walking mm -hmm. out in protest. Mm -hmm. They should have, did they think about that? I suspect they didn't. Yeah, uh, you said something when you interviewed uh, uh, um, the Mikhailo Fedorov, the Minister of Digital Transformation. The Deputy uh, Prime Minister The Deputy well. Post Minister, yes. Uh, with, with a really bright young guy, uh, extremely energetic, doing amazing things. And he was saying we're trying to- And not to dressed like a minister either. He's, he's always dressed like this, I love mm. it. Um, and 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 um, he was saying we're trying to think out of the box, and you said, no, there is no box anymore. C can you elaborate a little yeah. bit uh, uh, on it's that? It's a classic phrase to be using, and it's, okay. I think it's almost right. But I think I'm being provocative, and I would say it in many seminars or workshops okay. or whatever. Don't think about the box, okay? Because you've got to you've got to realize that there's a new three-dimensional, four-dimensional playing field, mm -hmm. and the idea that a box is sitting there with clearly defined walls and limits and a top and a bottom and four walls, mm -hmm. I think is, is constraining mm -hmm. for lateral and vertical thinking at a time of uncertainty like what we have at the moment. Right. Um, a few things about Ukraine. Uh, so you've been coming to the Kiev Economic Forum for the past three years. No, well, there wasn't one last year. Uh, yeah, I and know. I there was two years ago. You came two years ago. And three years and, ago. And three years ago. Um, how do you see the country evolving? I mean, uh, do you feel like we always have the same conversation at this forum? Uh, do you feel like we have new conversations? Uh, do you feel like there's, there's, it's changing? I'm not an expert and um, I haven't been for two years. Um, I interviewed the Prime Minister a couple of hours ago before we, we were doing this recording, yes. which went better than I expected. And, and longer. It rolled in a way which I never expected it to. Yeah. And he was far more self-confident than I expected. Yeah. Um, but I have seen the ambitions of Ukraine for the last four years mm -hmm. coming here, particularly on IT. Yes. Uh, and what I confronted the Prime Minister with, not the President, but the Prime Minister, is the kind of qualifying and a negative or it can be viewed as negative, assessment to the World Bank and the IMF. Yes. Um, and including the World Bank's assessment that 
Ukraine is still operating at subpar. And you're borrowing too much money, and you're borrowing it at a very high rate, which yes. means that money is going out of the country even faster than it should do. There's clearly international disappointment that many of the things that have been committed to, including by the current president, obviously in two years it's difficult to achieve a lot, that there's still a lack of alacrity, a lack of speed, even if speed is not achievable at the rate that it's right. needed. Therefore, I think there is a credibility problem. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a credibility problem because people, as with your park, can mm -hmm. see enormous change. Right. But when the World Bank and the IMF say that one third of the country is still living in poverty, right. you know, this is not Kiev, it's not Lviv, it's not Kharkov. It's about one fifth of 42 million people, mm -hmm. which um, is significant. It's about 10 million people. Yeah are still suffering and not benefiting in the way that they should. Yeah. And the issues of justice, issues of uh, the state still being a dominant factor. Clearly these things, as we've seen in Poland and elsewhere, take a long time. Right. But I think there's, by and large, international disappointment, whether it be in Brussels or in Washington, mm -hmm. that this hasn't moved faster. Uh, hence the de-oligarchization and whether that's going to produce an important sea change in thinking that that's not the way that you generate wealth. The right. trouble is the oligarchs do operate and manage a large amount of the wealth in this country. Yes. And so there are a number of paradoxes. And if I, if I parachuted into where I was sitting in a very modern um, uh, conference center, and I have to say two years ago, there was nothing like the number of exhibitors here. Yes. That there are this year. Yeah. So I can feel momentum. Yes. I can feel momentum at the airport. Um, the Lufthansa flight on which I came was full. Yeah. Uh, so there are signs, there are good signs, and I'd be more than happy to come back here. But still there's an issue of good governance and state, the state foot or footprint is still, and hand, handprint is still very strong. And I think that's going to be a trouble, a problem for your president. Last question, uh, very generic, but I tend to ask that question to everybody. Are you optimistic? It's the wrong, I don't like to use the word optimism or pessimism, okay. because I think, I think that's a value judgment. Okay. Uh, pessimistic or optimistic about what? The, 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 the world, the world where it's going after COVID. I'd like to use the word realistic okay. or positive or negative. Okay. I'd like to be classed as realistic, which is that with the COVID emergency, everyone was shaken by it, mm -hmm. even though it was predicted it would happen. Most people, including governments, were not prepared. They didn't believe right. it would happen on their watch right. in their electoral cycle. We saw 18 years change in 18 months. Yeah. We saw 12 years change in 12 months. We saw six years change in six months. So things had to move incredibly quickly, including survival of companies, mm -hmm. survival of governments, survivals of stability, and government intervention on a scale we've not seen even in the financial crisis 10 years ago. I think there's more pragmatism, but I would say when I come to be called a realism, realist, realist, we've got to be very sober about what's coming down the track mm -hmm. on the climate emergency. Mm -hmm. And when I sit in the traffic jam in Kiev, yes. of very smart cars, yes. you know, Korean cars, French cars, not just German cars, um, 
almost none of them, as far as I can see, EVs. And this is just in the Maidan, where the cobbles are falling apart. The holes are even bigger than when I was last here. But the traffic jams are even bigger in the morning right, and the evening. They are. A lot of people in a place like Ukraine, like in London where I live, are going to be shocked by the kind of sacrifices they're going to have to make. And so that's not about being positive or negative. Right. It's about being a realist. Okay. I've got to decide at my house in southwest London what I do about my gas boiler. Uh-huh. I'm one of 26 million people in the United Kingdom who will have to change in order to be green my gas boiler. It's going to cost me probably £10,000. I'm probably lucky in that I can afford it, but it's a lot of money. Yes. I'd much prefer to have a ground source heat pump or an air source heat pump. But there's no guidance as to what to do at the moment. Mm -hmm. And these are big changes. You know, I'm going to go to Chernobyl tomorrow. Yes. I haven't been there since April April uh, 1986. I remember when the first reports came in three or four days after Mm -hmm. that the radiation levels were going up and no one knew what had happened. Why am I going there? Because David Attenborough, Sir David Attenborough, the fantastic um, uh, nature nature, um, reporter, age 95 now, rising 60, he did a superb documentary a year ago in Pripyat Mm -hmm. where he was walking around saying there are no humans here. No one's been living here since April 1986. Mm -hmm. But this is an indication of where we're going to end up in the climate emergency if we're not careful. The planet will survive... There'll be wild animals, there'll be wild, there'll be wild vegetation, and no humans. But no humans. No humans. Nigoing, sinking the unsinkable. Thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. Good luck. Thank you.